SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining this week, as always, is our science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. <laughs> Hi, what's up? I just did not sleep very much last night. I need everybody oh, no. knowing that going in that yeah. there's just there's like 70% of Hank is in the studio today. Wow. I've turned off all the lights in my office except for one. <laughs> I'm just getting ready for Why? Betty. You're going to go to sleep after like in your office when this is over? I might go to sleep during the podcast. <laughs> no. I'm so tired. Maybe we could all sleep and we were, could record an eight-hour podcast of us snoring and it would be like a, brand, a breakthrough. We'd get in Vulture, they'd say, can you believe what they did? Wow, it's cutting edge, avant-garde. Mm-hmm. You guys, what do you want them to do with your body when you're dead? Ooh, ooh, I want to be either, I think about this a lot, I want to be either put in one of those fields where 
people can like science do science on you and see how the fungus grows on your body Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. i want to just be fed to animals or i want to be put in a tree but i feel like i heard the putting in the tree thing isn't good you want to do you want to get put in a tree Oh, they like plant a tree in you or something. Is that real? Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah. put your body in the ground and put the tree on the body. Yeah. They don't like hang you. And you're like fertilizer. Like, yeah. Like, just sort of strap you down so you look like you're sleeping in the tree. What if when the tree <laughs> grew, my skull was in the tree? That would be cool. Very cool. I hope, I hope that that happens for you. I want to get incinerated mm. by like the biggest laser that has ever been made by humans. <laughs> Hank, I suspect you've. You've asked this question before because I feel like last time you wanted to be a, a mummified in the Arctic. You're right. Oh. I have, and I did, and that is actually what I actually want. And I feel like I wouldn't know that about you unless we talked about. Maybe we <laughs> talked about it outside of a podcast context. Maybe. Like what do you I want bet you we've to done do it die? before. <laughs> it's I'm, on I'm telling you, I'm very tired. I can't remember things right now. <laughs> I got like four and a half hours of sleep last night, mm. and I'm gonna get so many hours tonight. I'm gonna get all of them. I, nine Every o'clock to seven o'clock. That's what I'm doing tonight. You're not going to stay up reading your phone until midnight, Hank? Yeah, I mean, I am. <laughs> you might Sarah, fall, though. I, I fall asleep, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I might fall just out of the side of the bed. <laughs> That's yeah. where I'm at, where I'm just going to finish the sentences in my head instead of saying them out loud, which makes for yeah. great podcast content. Well, Sarah, since we've talked about this before, why don't you tell me what you'd like them to do with my body? <laughs> yeah, uh... Oh, interesting. I think you should live on forever as a skeleton within a, like a medical classroom or something like that. Ooh, so everyone can say, oh, yeah, this is Hank Green, science communicator. Oh, is that an option? Can you get to can you get to decide to be a skeleton? It's my body. I feel like I should be able to d- make that decision. Like I want those dermestid beetles to eat my flesh off and then I want someone to articulate me. Yeah, because then you can still make will. TikToks even after your death. Someone <laughs> yeah, can make TikToks can with a- you. We can put a wig on you. Yeah. <laughs> and they could just like AI my voice. It could just be Sari talking through a modulator and should just be like, hey, what's up? It's Hank. Yeah. Uncle Hank's click clack TikToks. All right. It's great. It's great. Thank you, Sari. I'm I'm in. <laughs> Sam and I think that they should take uh, your body and send it to the moon. Uh, so that it can be there for future aliens when they come by to be like, oh, that's that must have been what they were like. Yeah, they could check out your cool. brain too, maybe cut it open, see. Yeah. Oh, Very wow. Creepy. Ooh, she went to MIT, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, they'll be like, oh, she was sad, huh? we could tell just by looking every week here on SciShow Tangents we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic and we're playing for glory here or I'm not they are Uh, but also for Hank Bucks (laughs) which I will be awarding as we plan at the end of the episode we'll have a winner and they'll get to brag now as always we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week it's from Sam In popular culture, lasers are so cool. From ray guns to swords to sci-fi multi-tools, they're easy to Mm. use, come in lots of fun colors. You can use them to fuse things or blast evil space smugglers. But lasers in real life, let it be understood, (laughs) seem to mostly be used to cut things out of balsa wood. They aren't for blowing up aliens or being fired at spaceships. They're taking babies' temperatures and etching things into microchips. Mm -hmm. Or they're used in a lab by some nerd at MIT to accelerate molecules (laughs) as part of their graduate degree. And you probably have to be real smart to make them work and know stuff about physics, optics, wires, and quirks. 
quarks. And quarks. 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 Well, that simply can't stand. Laser should be real fun. So I'm putting my foot down and speaking for everyone. Scientists, please do us dumb guys a favor. You can make anything else boring, but just let us have lasers. (laughs) (laughs) The most common use of a laser has to be cat toys. Has to be, has to be <laughs> number one. So a pointer. It's it is a little bit sad. Like a the, there's like it's and it's also the same device that's like the cat toy and also for your PowerPoint Ooh. presentation where you're like, Ooh. now point number two here is the, the <laughs> And you can aim that of, thing at the wall all day long. It's not gonna burn a hole in anything. It's not. Though it is like, don't look at it. Yeah, except, except it'll burn a hole in your eyeball. Bad. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so scared of lasers when I was growing up because because of that. They were like, there are, we got we got the powerful boys now. We we got yeah, some lasers you true. have to worry about. Yeah, you don't want to stick your hand under a, a laser cutter laser. You'll, mm-hmm. It'll burn you like it'll burn the balsa wood. That's right. <laughs> Will it? I don't know. It might be a different. Th- it might like hit that water and be like, I can't handle this. I'm tougher. I don't than actually laser. know. I wouldn't put my hand under the balsa wood laser when it's making that really cool uh, coaster that you're going to put <laughs> on your Etsy store. So lasers are fantastic, and I think that we know what they are. Am I right, Sari? That at least we can draw so. a pretty sharp line around what a laser is. Yeah, it gets a little blurry, but we're, we we oh. sharpen it right back up because I got to okay. start with the etymology. To show you where the blur mm. is. Oh, I see. Because it's actually laser is a thing. It stands right. for something. Laser is an acronym. And it wasn't the original acronym. In Ooh. 1955, oh. the first device that used stimulated emission of radiation was microwave amplification by stimulated oh. emission of radiation, also known as a maser. And so oh. we had masers. So we had masers first. Yeah, we had Mazers first. Mazer was the original. Mm, And then afterward, people were like, hmm, what if we amplified uh, and stimulated emission of radiation using other wavelengths that are not Mm -hmm. microwave, specifically stuff in the optical spectrum? Like stuff you can see, visible light. Visible light. And so somewhere around 1957 to 1959 or maybe 1960 it's there's a hot debate about who first came up with the the word laser um okay. some people were calling them optical masers which didn't catch okay. on boring but, bad but then, yeah. oh, oh masers yeah <laughs> that's pretty fun yeah yeah so you have oh masers or some guy named gould was like, what if we just call it a laser light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation uh, like a maser, but cooler. So we'll call it a laser. And there's a debate, I think, and one had one term had to win, and so mm-hmm. laser won out. Okay, you don't have to answer. I just want to say a couple of words out loud because there's yes. lots of other wavelengths of electromagnetic radiation. Mm. So mm-hmm. can I have a zaser, X-ray <laughs> amplification by stimulated emission or whatever? Uh, mm-hmm. Can I have? Uh, ultraviolet one that's called a laser. Can I have a gamma <laughs> radiation one that's called a gazer? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can call them whatever you want, but nowadays I will. <laughs> in general parlance, mm-hmm. uh, everyone just uses laser for any frequency. Okay. Masers or lasers? Some people use masers to say microwave or lower and anything Oh. Higher frequency than microwave is a laser. Anything below microwave is a maser. 
But yeah. some people just generalize and say they're all lasers. It's a, it's a better word. What what in what in like simple terms is a laser? This is hard for me to explain because I'm not a physicist, yes. but we mentioned mm-hmm. in a previous episode, I think the mirrors episode, there is a um a device called an etalon in optics or a fabry perot inferometer, which is two mirrors on the ends of a cavity that are parallel to each other and they're along a tube. So like you imagine a cylinder, there are two mirrors on the end and waves can pass through the optical cavity. One of those mirrors only when they're a certain certain frequency. So with a, a laser or something, it takes advantage of the fact that um, some atoms absorb energy and then release photons and, and that generates light. Mm-hmm. And as you input energy into the system, it releases photons and those photons start bouncing back and forth in, in the mirror, which mm-hmm. activates more atoms, which emit more photons, and eventually you have this cascading effect of more and more and more photons being emitted Mm. and bouncing back and forth in this little tube. And then they reach the frequency, or they are at the frequency, that escapes the mirror. And so you have a bunch of photons of light, very, very aligned because they've just been bouncing back and forth in this little chamber that shoot off into into space. And that is my best... It was a little rough. So like it bounces uh, back and it gets a little bit more photons and they bounce back and they get more photons and they're all sort of aligned because of that, because the mm-hmm. mirror thing. And then how do you let them out eventually? Is there like a little hole or Open is it like door. a partially silvered Damn. mirror where some can leak? I think one of the mirrors can partially leak. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. I really thought your explanation was going to make them sound more boring, but it made them sound even cooler, actually. Oh. Yeah. I, I just remember. So this is where <laughs> my memory is failing. I remember the animation on the top of the laser dome was like photons in like a dancing motion and being like one <laughs> uh-huh. goes that this way and then okay. two go back this way. And, that's what I and mean. so that's ingrained <laughs> in my head. Uh, <laughs> but then the, I can't remember the animation for the whole, like raising the oh. electron level and then spitting out the photons. So that part of the explanation is a little rockier. I love that lasers are cool and they got a cool name. Yeah. I'm just like very happy nice. for lasers. Mm-hmm. Also, Sam, in your poem, I have to call you out on something. You said oh, that the, 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 sm- the smugglers yeah. were bad guys, but they never are. Well, that's true. They're the ant- they're always good guys. That's the closest <laughs> thing I could run with colors. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You could have been like awesome, great smugglers. Just great, awesome smugglers like Han Solo. The yeah, smugglers are, right. I don't know why the smugglers are always good guys. Because they're anti-authoritarian. They're anti-authority. Yeah, yeah. and authority yeah. in space series is usually even more dystopian than the authority in real life. Yeah, Yeah, I think next time I go overseas, I'm going to smuggle something. But I think you should really respect trade barriers and you shouldn't do smuggling. That's my hardline stance. No smuggling allowed. So thank goodness for a great word with an easy etymology and a definition that definitely is clear. It never happens, but here we are today. And that means that it's time for the quiz portion of our show. Because lasers have been a figment of our creative imaginations for some time, but their uses aren't limited to science fiction. Scientists have been finding very real ways to use lasers to make things that sound made up, but are not. So today I'm going to be telling you a tale of three things made with lasers, and two of them are just plain lies. So tell me which one the true one is. 
It could be this first one. Using a focused laser beam and mirrors, scientists were able to fabricate gold nanoparticle-plated armor that protected bacterial cells from being engulfed by immune cells. It might be that one, but it might be story number two, where scientists devised a way to make lasers that can work on a thin, flexible substance, which they then turned into a contact lens that can shoot green lasers. (laughs) That could be it, but it could also be the third one here. Scientists used an optical laser to create extreme heat and pressure so that they could accomplish what alchemists had long tried to achieve just on a nanoparticle scale. They were able to convert lead into gold. So it could either be scientists crafting gold-plated armor for bacteria using lasers, scientists making contact lenses that can shoot lasers, or scientists wielding lasers to turn lead into gold nanoparticles. I would think bacteria is that having gold on a bacteria would be like, oh, I'm safe, but at what cost? Because they got to be like squishy and flowing around, right? Maybe. Also, why would you want to protect bacteria? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the bacteria that's in our gut. Sometimes there's fine in there. Most of them are good guys. Yeah, yeah, but they don't need our help. They're fine. They can replicate pretty quick. Yeah, they can just split off another one of themselves and be like, "Run while you still can!" Right? (laughs) They are good at that. Eat it. (laughs) Um. What's the second? The contact lenses. So first of all, it couldn't be very strong. You burn your eyelids off. Second of all, (laughs) it probably would just be like, if it's just like a faint glow, totally. I'm sure someone's working on that. So maybe, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that one. I feel like you'd have to pack whatever is in a laser. So like some, something that gets the light, like that gets Mm -hmm. the light energy, something that Mm -hmm. like a crystal or a glass or an optical material that will have its electrons excited and then spew out the photons. And I feel like that would be hard to pack into a contact lens. Okay. And I don't know enough about anything to know the last one. That seems plausible, I suppose. If you shoot something with enough little beams, it'll change into something else. Where are lead and gold on the periodic table? I have no idea. Am I allowed to look that up or no? Uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that they're quite close, but I don't... I think that that was the, the kind of idea... Oh, yeah. 82. So 82 is yeah. lead. 79 is gold. Turn lead into gold. Yeah, I think that's possible. So I'm just imagining you got a laser beam. Imagine like your sci-fi narrative, but on a very, yeah. very tiny just scale tiny. where you got and a you laser. Go, pew. And you go pew, pew. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, knock yeah. some neutrons out of you. Pew, pew. Yeah, and then get rich. <laughs> and get small to gold. So I think it's the third one. I'll, I'm going I'm to go with the first one, actually. All right. Here's the situation. Uh, we did use super strong lasers to turn polyethylene plastic into nano diamonds, which is maybe even, uh, you know, in terms of like value creation, better than turning lead into gold. Uh, but maybe not because nano diamonds probably aren't that, that valuable, but we did not, we weren't able to knock a bunch of atoms off of lead to make gold. That'd be pretty, that'd be, or protons, I should say, not atoms. That'd be, that'd be tricky and a nuclear reaction that I would be. Uh, not want to be nearby, <laughs> but you know, like the weird, like lasers are definitely involved in nuclear reactions. So I'm not saying it's impossible. And Sam, 
there, we did use lasers to manipulate the position of golden nanoparticles inside of cells, and they're used by scientists to study particular parts of cells and and help them figure out how they work. and And they wanted to see if they could manipulate and localize those gold nanoparticles with a laser. So they infused cells with gold ion solutions to get through that membrane, and then they used the laser to manipulate the uh. nanoparticles into the area of the cell they wanted them to be in. They were able to use the the lasers to push around the gold nanoparticles inside of the cells, which is very cool, but it is not creating gold-plated armor for bacteria using lasers. So in fact, in 2018, scientists uh, created super thin membrane lasers that can be charged with blue light. So you like charge them up with light and they usually need some kind of solid support to make them stable, but the researchers worked on a way to make a thin sheet with lasers in uh, in it that was mounted on a glass substrate and then taking away that substrate so that you could just have the thin membrane. And the laser they constructed was about one one-thousandth of a millimeter thick, and then they put Whoa. their lasers in a contact lens and put them on uh, cow eyeballs that had been previously <laughs> moved from the cow. So that oh, was okay. like a cow currently. A cow laser uh, okay. And they used the blue light to charge up the laser, and they saw a laser beam coming off of cow eyeballs. Why'd they do it? I can't really say. I think that they had some ideas that it might be useful for some reasons, but like none of them sounded particularly plausible to me. It uh-huh. more seemed like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could create cow cyclops from the X-Men? But cow. <laughs> but, but a cow, yeah. So, wow. I'm sorry. Neither of you get anything. That's wild. Um, no, I, that's very I, cool. Yeah. It sounded so fake. Yeah. But it does sound scientists fake. Scientists will go out, do anything out here. There you go, Sam. <laughs> like, here's, here are these scientists trying to make lasers a little bit cooler. Be like, what if we have cows that shoot laser beams from their eye? The picture of the cow eyeball isn't very cool, though. It's just really gross. No, cow <laughs> eyeballs on their own aren't great. They also stuck one of the membranes onto one of the researcher's thumbnails, so you could have like a fancy laser, laser, thumbnail. laser finger. <sighs> really cool. Really That's cool. That's great job, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break, and then it will be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening. That all, all that's building up around you. Oh, this is like terrifying. I'm so, yeah. I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right. Factor ad. I don't, I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. 
ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> Oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from, flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A a cheaper, more of a cheaper type of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. (laughs) Yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. (laughs) (laughs) Subscription companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop (laughs) wasting money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted (laughs) subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Welcome back, everybody. Get ready for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. In the first half of the 20th century, a man named Joe Woodland was at the beach when he drew up the idea for the barcode in the sand. He was like, this is a great idea. Look at these bars I've drawn in the sand. He'd been thinking about (laughs) coming up with a code that could be printed on groceries so that stock taking and checkout would be faster. And sitting at that beach, he devised 
a system inspired by Morse code that used wide and narrow lines to identify products. That system would later become the basis for the universal product code, which uses lines and lasers to help scan items at stores. What was the first year that an item marked with the UPC code was used at checkout? Oh, first half. 1951 is my guess. Wait, what was in the first? Did you say in the first half or just any time? No, I just said when was it? 1971. The answer, Sam Schultz, is 1974. Wow. I have a bunch of items that doesn't have a bar UPC codes on it. So that's how I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was a Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Chewing Gum. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So it was chosen specifically to prove that the code could be printed on even a very small product. So it wasn't like they had to just buy like a special machine that was like, here's the machine we use to scan the gum. Is that what it was like for a while? (laughs) (laughs) You've bought one gum. It's only for the gum. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then everything else is going to tally up by hand, punch it in. Um, But Sarah, the the patent for the technology was actually filed in 1949. So if we're going by the patent, you would be closer. But it needed a lot of time before it was... uh, actually able to work because the tech had to catch up with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And they weren't super popular originally, but as larger stores adopted them, they became much more popular. And then the stores kept getting bigger and and we needed we needed that support. We needed more stuff. From the great people at the Universal Product Code place. I don't know. <laughs> I assume that there's some kind of group that oh handles this. Who's drawing all the new ones? Like Big Bar, Little Bar, <laughs> Big Bar, Big Bar. Ah, oh, shit, I've already done Big Bar, Big Bar. <laughs> oh god so sam that that means you get to decide who goes first i'm gonna go first i could never live with myself if i said sarah should go first and hers was really good i would just hang up the call having a device in your home (laughs) that can instantly produce a fully cooked dinner is a sci-fi staple a la the replicators on star trek or i don't know like the jetsons or something and while we are at the point where we're starting to successfully 3d print certain foods the fully cooked element has so far eluded us like you can 3d print chicken breasts all day long but they're still coming out raw you're gonna need to cook that bad boy and and having to cook something (laughs) isn't very futuristic and it seems that 3d printed food especially meat is also trickier to cook uh, than than regular food in the first place too but in 2022 a research team from columbia university made a massive breakthrough in the field of instant dinners laser cooking what they came up with was the first attempt at a device that will both print and cook your dinner replicator style well okay so right off the bat this thing isn't like a replicator because instead of raw atoms getting sequenced into any food you want the team uh, starts this process by blending up a bunch of raw chicken breasts and loading it into a 3d printer then they print a big old raw chicken nugget Uh, Like I said, cooking 3D printed meat is tricky or at least different, I think, from cooking your traditional straight off the animal meat. Or as the team says in their video about this process, current cooking techniques don't provide the high spatial resolution required to cook 3D printed food, which is just a really weird thing to say. That is weird. Uh, To me, I'm (laughs) like, really, really, really? Do we need high spatial? Is that because this is going to be a problem for me? If it's if it, I need to buy a new device to to eat a well, certain kind of food, 
Buckle up, buddy. So to solve this problem, okay. the team shoots their 3D printed chicken with no less than three different lasers to cook it. A blue laser, a near infrared laser, and a mid infrared laser. So the blue laser penetrates the food to cook the inside of it using a pattern device for optimal chicken cooking. Then the infrared lasers can be used to brown the outside or to put grill lines on the chicken because why not? <laughs> and the result... <laughs> And the result, according to the team, laser-cooked chicken are more moist, apparently, and also shrink less than old-fashioned chicken breasts. The team had people taste test their 3D-printed laser-cooked chicken and traditionally cooked non-3D-printed chicken. And apparently, according to them, people preferred the laser chicken because of that moisture. Though the video that the team put out that I referenced earlier hedged a little bit more by simply stating that the 3D laser chicken was edible and achieved food-safe temperatures. Apparently, some taste. <laughs> it was no McDonald's yep. chicken nugget. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so what they're saying. Appa- what is? Apparently, some taste testers said they could taste the unmistakable metallic tang of laser, which I imagine sort of tastes like how laser printers smell. You know, uh, and they compared it the smell to having fillings put in their teeth. But, you know, I guess oh, that's man. the one they liked better for some reason. Uh, so the team imagines that eventually we'll have like a microwave-like device in our homes filled with meat goo that we can push like the chicken breast button. And in a couple minutes, we'll pull out a moist, scientifically perfectly cooked 3D printed chicken breast. Or at that point, I can do anything I want with it. I can make a chicken nugget in the <laughs> shape of the Eiffel Tower. Why I would should. I eat a, ch- a chicken breast if I could if I could eat you a chicken? Have some. You know, like a chicken ball or a chicken dinosaur. <laughs> Well, you're really you're really naming things that already exist <laughs> with your there vast imagination dinosaurs. right now, yeah. Hank. <laughs> I forgot dinosaur chicken Round nuggets chicken, are a thing. Dinosaur They're chicken. totally a thing. Dang it, I want a ball know. shape. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's gonna be the shape of a nose. Okay, I don't know. Chicken again. <laughs> it's gotta be a tree. <laughs> gotta be a pig. Some other animals that are cute. A manatee. Uh well if it was uh yeah, whatever. I'm not. I'm not going to go on this flight of fancy with you. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't want to have any fun. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything really. <laughs> <laughs> so one state of benefit was maximum food customization based on your taste, uh, and the Scientific uh-huh. American article I was reading suggested a burger with alternating medium and well done sections in a checkerboard Ooh, pattern. Because again, that. why not? And a, another uh-huh. benefit, which is actually more cool, is that they can cook the food through plastic packaging. So they think that they could reduce the risk of contamination for stuff like pre cooked meals mm. you can get at grocery stores. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, the future is here, and it's an unseasoned 3D printed chicken breast cooked by lasers. Neat. I love it. And if it can <laughs> write grill lines on there, I can also put like a note to my son. Be like, <laughs> I love you, that buddy. I so hope you're cute. enjoying Octonauts and he's eating his chicken breast. <laughs> you could print your own in face on it. Being like, hey, what's, <laughs> what's that? Oh, it's my dad. It's, <laughs> oh, you yeah. got one of those microwazers, huh? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's an amazing. It should have been microwazers. Yeah, that's <laughs> really good. So good. <laughs> okay, Sari, <laughs> can you beat microwazers making three D printing Eiffel towers made out of chicken slop? <laughs> Ground chicken. Yeah, that's it. Um, I'll try my best. So, lightning can be really dangerous because many things don't do so well with a sudden blast of high voltage and high amperage current, especially living things whose bodies depend on electrical balance or flammable things that can't handle high temperatures without combusting. So, in general, this is a little preamble, 
because I decided to make my life hard this episode. Lightning happens because negative charge gathers at the bottom of a cloud of water vapor or dust or something, and the ground's neutral charges are relatively positive. Air isn't super conductive in its everyday form, but when enough charge builds up and kind of spurts out of the cloud or the ground, it ionizes some air molecules, which makes it more conductive. And eventually, all the system hits a breaking point and carves out an easier path for electrons to flow. And when those electrons move all at once, that's a lightning strike. And lightning tends to strike tall things like towers because that height sort of provides a shorter path for the electrons to travel from the cloud to something. And lightning rods are conductive structures that people intentionally use in this way for some amount of safety and control. So trying to get lightning to connect at a specific tall point and run through a wire to the ground without damaging unsuspecting people or things. But lightning rods, as I found out, aren't a surefire protection or even particularly great. They only cover about a couple dozen meters in every direction, Mm. uh, depending on what they're made of. So if lightning is brewing a little too far away from a lightning rod, the strike could easily hit a different part of a building or bystander. And you need multiple lightning rods to create a bigger area of protection. And so far, as far as I can tell, we just kind of lived with that risk. But in the summer of 2021, on Santis Mountain in Switzerland, a research team used lasers to help redirect lightning bolts toward a telecommunications tower that's there to help measure this kind of electrical storm stuff. The basic idea is that high-powered lasers can ionize some air molecules and basically help carve out that path that guides the flow of electrons from the cloud to the lightning rod and vice versa. So to test that, they shot intense, short laser pulses based on yttrium-aluminum-garnet crystals up towards a thunderstorm and observed what happened with high-speed cameras. And it turned out that in four times, when the laser pulses coincided with lightning strikes, the lightning followed the path of the laser for around 50 to 60 meters, basically increasing the protection radius of the lightning rod by that much. And besides the fact that this worked, they redirected lightning with lasers, which is Mm -hmm. a very cool sentence. It's Mm -hmm. extra cool because using lasers can theoretically work to clear paths for lightning, even in foggy or other tricky weather conditions, because the photon beams can just blast right through the water droplets and vaporize them. So they want to keep experimenting to use lasers to extend lightning rods even further and hopefully develop more protective uh, sci-fi future systems against nature's unpredictable electricity. So does the laser, like, does, is the laser have to be in the place where the where the lightning is coming down, or can the laser be, like, somewhere else? If I'm, like, way over here and there's, like, a big tall building, can I shoot a laser and help the lightning come down at the, or is it going to, like, follow me? I think it's going to follow the path of the laser. So the laser has to be where the where the lightning rods are? Yeah, and be, like, okay. and it extends it vertically, kind of. This is good news because it means that we can't intentionally make a laser, make a, a lightning hit someone. You could plant a laser on them, though, right? Sneak one into there. Yeah, you could plant. You could plant a, a yttrium laser on them on top of their head somehow. <laughs> Give them a hat. Here's here's your new hat. They're hanging out Ooh, on a great. park bunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> laser this shooting on top of the hat. A very powerful laser shooting up. Southern mystery novelist is taking notes right now. (laughs) They're like, this is how Rush is going to start killing spies. (laughs) Uh Ultimately, I'm like, I'm 99% sure that in the future, we're going to be using lasers to like increase the, the working distance of a lightning rod. Seems like why not do that? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's working. It's good. But the like 
20% sure that we're going to have microwazers. <laughs> That'd be a much bigger impact on my personal life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To have, to, to have like a device in my home that just yeah. sort of like creates food in any shape or <laughs> level of doneness I require. And as a bonus, it shrinks less. I love that that was one of the things. <laughs> yeah. It's juicy. Less. It's juicier. <laughs> it's and real it shrinks juicy. Less. It's like, yeah, because yes. the water is still in there. You print out a perfect replica of your own body and you can eat it for dinner. Come on. You could print out your arm and just be like, ow, ow, ow. I like the idea of printing out like a full-sized <laughs> Hank out of chicken meat and then having a bunch of people over. I was oh. like, dip me in the sauces. That would be great. Yeah. Take your finger off. Don't. That would be really fun, actually. Yeah, they'd be like, well, how big is your microwazer, Hank? Like, I did it section by section. Took a long time. Some of Meat Hank is quite old. It's been around some other days. I'm gonna give it to Sam. Yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah, so, I didn't think I would. But then I kept I kept coming back around to it. It's just, it's a, I mean, they're both so good. Mm-hmm. Laser guided lightning. Lasers are cool. But there's just yeah. so, it's fertile ground there. With, uh, <laughs> 3D printing meat and using three different kinds of lasers to cook it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That means that it's time to ask the science couch where we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Sloth Queen asks, what's the longest a laser can shoot? Well, if you shot one into space, would it, it would just go forever? Yeah, no? that's my kind of feeling is if it's if you don't hit, you know, there's like gas and dust in the universe eventually. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I feel like infinity. It's still the laser. I feel like as yeah. long as the time that you have to wait. <laughs> is, that, is that right, Sari? I think so. But I'll, I'll lead up to it with my discoveries of longest laser that just kept escalating as I tried Googling different things because you can't just Google long, how long no. can a laser shoot? No. You gotta like guess what long distances are. So first oh. thing I thought, what if you pointed at a friend kind of far away? And the thing that I found in this circumstance is that the FAA is very vigilant about laser incidents of mm-hmm. people on the surface of the earth pointing lasers up towards yeah. planes and cruising altitude is generally between 10 and 12,000 meters. So a laser shined from the surface of the earth can be quite distracting or blinding to a pilot if it gets up into the airplane. And that of course depends on weather conditions. So it can definitely go as far as ground to plane. And then I was like, well, okay, space on the moon left by Apollo astronauts, there are reflecting mirrors on there that have been used continuously since 1969 to study like the Earth-Moon system and how far the moon is away from the Earth. There are five uh, retro-reflector arrays, is what they're called, and I think any lab or any person can just shine lasers at the moon and measure the distance from the moon to their spot at Earth and be like, That's neat. Uh, <laughs> and so you just shine your laser to where these known mirrors are and it'll and, and you can like wow. see the laser beam from Earth, detect it from Earth. And then I was like, okay, how far in space can we go? And this is the farthest that I found where a powerful radio wave laser called a mega maser. So 
they specifically called it uh, both a laser and a maser in the same sentence. Uh, has been observed by a telescope in South Africa. This mega maser is about 5 billion light years from Earth. And so the light from this mega maser has traveled 58,000 billion billion kilometers from its origin point to Earth, which is basically infinity. Yeah, like, it's it so go, far. It can go 5 billion light years. It can go forever. Uh, yeah. If, if there was aliens, would we be able to see their lasers not not unless they so are we can't pointed at us yeah so there's a couple there's a couple of problems like reasons they would have had to have pointed them at us at the right moment in their history it would have to be bright enough for our detectors to detect which i don't want those be tricky i don't think that we could do that with any of our current lasers i think there are experiments in laser communication i don't think we've sent it very far i think we've mostly used it like Obviously, we're on Earth, so that's the easiest place to test communication is on Earth to satellites or things like that. But there's a whole Wikipedia article about laser communication in space that I kind of glossed over and then was like, I want to stick with the Mega Maser. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents. We'll tweet up topics for upcoming episodes every week uh, there, or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon uh, and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to at Firigion, Les on Discord, and everybody else who asked us your question for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, hey, it's very easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents. Become a patron of our show and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. And a special thanks to patrons John Pollock and Les Aker. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell me tell about, people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Faith Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, you couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. We've mentioned dead butt syndrome on a previous episode of the pod. But the more technical term for this achy pain is gluteus medius tendinopathy. And that's a fancy way of saying that the tendons that connect your butt muscles to your bones and help you walk are inflamed. There are various ways to rest or stretch to help your butt tendons recover, but one possible treatment is low-level laser therapy. LLLT involves shining short-wavelength, single-color light to help promote all kinds of biological repair processes, including helping cells proliferate, reducing inflammation, and upregulating growth factors. How do they get the lasers into the butt? I don't know. Pew pew. pew it's pew. only for butt. There's for every. It's for other parts of your body. I think you can use tendon, it for a bunch yeah. of things. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. You just yeah. got a little creative with it. Yeah, yeah. I think that they shoot it through the skin. <laughs> yes, this is the more practical one. My other butt fact option was: woman farts during surgery and then catches on fire, which was very <gasps> dubious of an article. <laughs>
from a laser. Yeah, they were using laser on her butthole, and then she farted, and then they were like, it caught on fire. But it's dubious because your farts have to have a lot of flammable gas, and they don't always (laughs) have that composition. They don't usually have that much flammable gas. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit, but like, what's going to catch on fire? All that stuff's in the... Uh, they yes. get, uh, it's it's definitely dubious to me. There's not a lot of flammable material left yeah. during an operation. They they tend to do their best to remove that and not have this it is, be around. This is not a canon butt fact, everybody. Uh, no. It's a non-canon butt mind. fact. <laughs> yeah. <Don't. laughs> 